put in a lot of labor. The walls and the ceiling is very strenuous, difficult work, and many thanks to, to Eric for that. Um, and Chris and Tracy came out, and they painted the ceiling. They did a lot of hard work and, and turned a closet into a beautiful feature item with their handiwork. Uh, Dwayne and Healy helped uh, some structural things, brace some things, and um, uh, Pastor uh, Denise did a lot of hard work, and, and my own family was out, and it's, uh, it's really a, a blessing. We were able to feature um, the kids' area this past Wednesday night, and the kids were just having a blast with it, and and we really believe that God is, is going to use that uh, space to, uh, to bless his people. So uh, gratitude toward that, gratitude uh, toward the, the leadership for moving that forward. Um, I want to share with you this morning, I've got a message uh, to continue in our series on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and specifically the theme of forgiveness. But I want to share something that... Um, uh, it's not in, not in my notes, but it's in my heart very strongly. And I've shared some in, in the past, uh, well, two and a half months, um, about what I felt brought me and my family to this church, as the pastors of this church. And... Um, I never feel like it's appropriate other than, you know, even, even, even in late July when, when we shared and there was the church vote on us as the pastors, um, even then I'm, I'm kind of preaching and, you know, just to be candid, it's, you know, you can see how I preach and that sort of thing and it's kind of a tryout and everybody's holding up their scorecards, you know, and everything else and, um, and I, I, I've not... Um, Spent time, a lot of time, sharing um, specifically my sense of call. It's been more um, with the leadership and the search committee on that. But I want to share you, with you an experience I had almost a year ago, uh, just before Thanksgiving uh, or around Thanksgiving. It might have been just after Thanksgiving, but I think it was Thanksgiving week. And God was dealing with me. I was a professor at Northwest University teaching missions, teaching New Testament, and um, this time last year there was a board meeting of that university, and in that board meeting I was granted tenure, I was promoted to full professor, so I was kind of top of the heap type, type thing, I had gone through that whole process successfully. Um, my classes were full. I had a lot of repeat students, which means they liked what they got in one of my earlier classes, so they were coming back. Um, I was uh, director or co-director of a couple of programs, academic programs there. But God had been dealing with me. He had been stirring something in me. And um, my family, uh, Patty and... Joseph and Eden and myself uh, went to a play. We went to a little play. It was a little playhouse in a shopping center in Bellevue. <clears throat> we went to this play. It was a play, uh, Anne of Green Gables. Has anybody heard of Anne of, Green, Anne of Green Gables? So we went to this play, and it was a little bitty playhouse, and um, our seats were right in the middle of a row, and people were 
were packed behind us, in front of us, and I'm not clinical claustrophobic, but under certain circumstances. Uh, mm. So we're watching this play, and I, uh, the intermission came, thank God, and I got out of there, right? And I said, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm hot, and I'm stuffy and everything else. And so uh, I walked, I just kind of walked this, uh, they were just putting up their Christmas decorations, so I walked this little shopping center up and down, the intermission was over, my family went back in, and they're understanding on that thing, my wife in particular, so she forgave me that uh, half the price of my ticket had gone to waste and I wasn't back uh, in my sardine can seat. And so I went back into this playhouse and I sat in the lobby and I began reading the Bible. I just have the Bible on my phone. How many have the Bible on your phone? I have the Bible on my phone and I began to read and I was reading in Isaiah chapter 49. And as I read in that chapter, the presence of God manifested like a cloud. Very, very powerfully, the presence of God came upon me. Now, people um, uh, sense that one way or another. People have different ideas about what that means, um, but it's not an emotion. For me, it's an actual physical manifestation. It feels like low-voltage electricity is going through my hands. Nobody get weirded out. I'm just telling you. That's, that's how the Spirit of God has manifested in my life ever since I was a, a young man getting called to ministry. And the presence of God manifested very, very powerfully, very strong on me as I was reading in this passage. And I want to read to you the passage that I was reading as this presence came upon me. And it's Isaiah 49, starting in verse 8. It says, Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. To establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages. To say, saying to the prisoners, come out. To those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways. On all bare heights, shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them and by string, springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road and my highway shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar and behold, these from the north and from the west and these from the land of Syene. And God impacted me with that passage very, very powerfully, and if you're, uh, I mean, maybe you get things the first time, the Lord's impressing something on you. For me, I'm a little bit dense, and so the Lord has to work with me over weeks and sometimes months, and he has to speak to me through different scriptures, and he did, and he dealt with me about different things, and he spoke to me that he was taking me away from Northwest and he was taking me back into shepherding a local church. I didn't know where that church was going to be, but he made it clear that he was going to lead me back into that role and into that place. And one of the things that he impressed upon me as he led me and my family back into this role was truths that are found in this passage. And that was that God wanted to work liberation. 
God wanted to bring freedom. And since I've come to this city and since I've come to this church, God has deeply impressed upon me that truth for this church. That God wants this church to be a place of spiritual liberty. That this church be a center, and God bless all the churches. Everybody say that with me. God bless the churches. Amen. God bless them all. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. But God's got a role for this church. While God blesses the other church, he's not going to pass this church by. He's going to bless this church. And I'll tell you what I believe from the bottom of my being that God has for this church. That where people might get a dose someplace else, they come here to get an operation. They come here to get set free. This is a place where people who've had a brass heaven get an open heaven. This is a place where people who felt constricted in their worship have freedom to worship. This is a place where people who've had family conflict that has broken their hearts find healing and reconciliation. This is a place where the prisoner hears Come out of that cell. Come out of that pit. Come out of that darkness. I believe it firmly, saints. And I believe that God has a plan and a purpose. And I'm seeking God with all of my might to stay close to him so that, that his, his freedom can flow in this place. Now here's the thing about freedom. It's a gift that is very rarely received. We just talked, prayed about the election. How many have heard the freedom isn't free thing? Well, we got a problem in our country. And I'm not interested in politics. I don't want to sully what I'm talking about with politics. But I want to tell you, there's a problem because freedom requires a higher level of involvement and responsibility that some people just don't want to do. Some people just don't even want to vote, right? So there's a, freedom is, is a gift that a lot of people spurn. We have the freedom to vote. My forefathers died for the freedom to vote, and a lot of people don't even vote. How many know that, right? That's nothing compared to the price that Jesus paid and the freedom that he offers that people spurn. Jesus asked the man by the pool at Bethesda, who'd been lying there 38 years, do you want to be healed? What a ridiculous question. Of course I want to be healed. I've been here 38 years. It's not a ridiculous question. If Jesus asks a question, it's not ridiculous. It's a question that every single one of us have to have ringing in our ears. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be free? Do you want revival in this place? Do you want people to come here who need freedom? Because people who need freedom are in bondage. Do you want people sitting next to you? Forget sitting next to you. You want people taking your seat who need freedom more than you do? And you, you're... 
you're willing to give up your seat. You're willing to give up North Lake Church as it has been in order that it might become what God wants it to be. Yeah. Oh, now that's fighting words right there. But God wants to set people free. And he wants to use you to do it. He wants to use me to do it. And I want to tell you something that's hard news. There's no plan B. He's God. He doesn't need a plan B. There's only plan A. And you know what plan A is? You. Your plan A. And he will not give up on you. He will not give up. God's got a purpose for this church. And there's things that we've got to do to, to step into God's purposes for us as a church. There's things that, that I've talked to some of the leadership, man, it's mysterious how the church grows. I, I think it's mysterious how the church even <laughs> holds together. It's a mystery. Paul says it's a mystery in Ephesians chapter, chapter 5. He says this is a profound mystery. I'm speaking of Christ in the church. It's a mystery. The church is a mystery. But some things are not mysterious. Some things are just flat. They're ball right across the plate. Softball, boom, right across the plate. Jesus said, let the little children come unto me. That's not mysterious. He said it. Don't hinder them. Let them come. That's why we're focusing on kids. That's why we're focusing on the kids. Because Jesus said it, right? Not mysterious. Heartbeat of God, missions, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He said it. That's not mysterious. When we do that, we line up with the will of God. How many still love me? How many love me? All right. There's about 50%. All right. That's good. That's good. That's a, the polls are out. Tuesday we'll know, right? So, so that's why we're going to Ecuador. Right? Jesus said it. It's very, very clear. I want to tell you something else that's not mysterious. Pray. Pray, 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 and pray. Pray in the morning. Should I pray in the morning, Pastor, or in the evening? Yes. Pray in the morning. Pray in the evening. Pray whenever you can pray. Send time, set time apart where you can get alone with God, where you can hear from God. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you hear these stories. It's almost, like a, it's almost like urban legend status in the church. You know, so-and-so gets up early in the morning and he seeks God or she looks to the things of God and she fasts and prays. And, and how many, when you hear those stories, you're like, there's kind of a ripple of respect that goes through your spirit. Like, amen, like, amen, amen. Well, you don't need to respect it from afar. That can be you. Go do it yourself. Nothing's stopping you. At the end of the day, we do what we want to do with our time. We do what we want to do. Oh, God, it's so difficult. I don't have time to pray. But we got time for a bunch of other stuff. Right? So I'm telling you, I am telling you, he whom the Son sets free is indeed free, is truly free. God wants to use this church as a vehicle to bring liberation to this community. A place where people can come, they're bound up, and God sets them free. We need to be free ourselves. We need to walk in the freedom. Jesus, you're asking me, do I want to be healed? Dig deep into your heart and seek the answer.
yes, God, I want to be healed. I want to be free. I, I, I want what you want for me. And then, we're, then when we're free inside through Jesus, we're free with others. This is why when people come into the church, people come into the church new or, or somebody who's been coming here for decades, be generous toward them. Be free with your affection toward them. Approach them. Go after them. Well, I'm not sure if it, yeah, stop that. Go after them. The affection that you're showing them, the greeting that you're showing them might be the only affection they get all week long. Be loving be free. Be open. Let, let people come in. Go after them. That, not, not weird. <laughs> not 50 people landing on, you know, just use your judgment. But God wants to use this place as a place of freedom. Now, a big part of this, and this isn't me trying to be tricky with a lead-in, a big part of this is what I want to share about this morning. And this is Matthew chapter 6. And we're reading in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Last week... I talked about forgive us our debts. I talked about what it is to ask God for forgiveness and what it is to repent of our sins, what it is to get right with God, and what it is through prayer to receive that forgiveness. And I, I want to tell you, I've been swimming in the idea of forgiveness and seeking God and these prayer and, and in these scriptures. I could probably preach on forgiveness alone for a couple of months and not even strain the subject. Because it's so vast, it's so deep. But, the, you know, we, 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 this isn't the last time I'm going to preach on it, but we got some things we, we, we need to cover. We're moving into the holidays, and then January is going to be about fasting and prayer. We're going to seek God, we're going to break chains, and we're gonna, God's going to do some things. But, but today, I do want to sp- focus on the second half of chapter 12. So last week, I talked about forgive us our debts, and I talked a little bit about The second half, as we have forgiven our debtors. That's one sentence. They're bound together. You can't break them apart. You're not meant to break them apart. But you've got these these two phrases. God, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I want to talk about what it means to forgive. What it means to be a forgiving people. And what it means to forgive as we pray. Matthew uh, says it this way, Mark 11.25 says, when you stand praying, forgive. So you get this in a couple of different Gospels. Jesus says it a couple of different ways. He's not kidding. And as we noted last week, of all the commentary could, that he could make after he teaches this prayer, the only comment that he makes is on the issue of forgiveness. Verses 14 and 15, he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So I want to say this, and in light of, of the thing that I, the kind of preamble I just gave about liberty, about freedom, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is no ingredient that I can think 
other than just pure the worship of God itself, but the worship and this are closely related for reasons I'll explain, there's nothing that I can think of that more quickly, more immediately, easier to explain, easier to identify than the matter of forgiveness and unforgiveness for, in relation to spiritual freedom. If you are bitter, if you are unforgiving, if you're carrying a grudge, I don't care if it's a grudge from last week, I don't care if it's a grudge over the last six months, I don't care if it's a grudge that's 20, 30, 40 years old, maybe you're mad at somebody who's not even alive anymore, those grudges will kill you. They will kill your spiritual life. They're like, a, they're like an anaconda that comes in and squeezes the life out of you. Nothing is going to box you in and restrict the spiritual flow quicker than bitterness. And nothing is going to restore the breath of heaven quicker on you than forgiving than forgiving those who've sinned against you. I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I'm a Pentecostal, but I wasn't raised Pentecostal. I was raised Catholic. And I'm a tampered with Catholic. My dad got baptized in the Holy Spirit as a Catholic, started speaking in tongues. Catholic Charismatic Renewal. State of Michigan, northern Indiana was a hotbed of that when it broke out in the late 1960s. And I am a direct result of that. Now, I'll tell you, I'll translate that for what that means for you to have that in your pastor. I have few loyalties to classic Pentecostalism. In, the, in, the, in, the, in what we would call the sectarian sense, in the denominational sense. I've, been, I've had credentials with the Assemblies of God for over 25 years. I've never lapsed, so I'm kosher, all right? Everybody say kosher. I'm kosher. But I want to tell you, as far as, you know, the whole denominational thing and waving a flag and all that stuff, that's not my deal. What is my deal is I was blind and now I see. That's my deal. My deal is, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, the power of God hit me, transformed me, and I want to see the things of God flow. But here's what distresses me. Here's what distresses me. I've preached in a lot of churches, a lot of Assembly of God churches. You do that as a missionary because you've got to go from church to church to raise your funds. So I've been in a lot of different churches in a lot of different states. I preached in, I preached, I preached in a lot of different states, mostly Kentucky, but I preached in a lot of states in the Midwest. I preached in a lot of states in the West. And I want to tell you, I've seen it, and I don't want to be Pentecostal in name only. And a surefire recipe for being Pentecostal and name only is have a bunch of people who speak in tongues, but they're mean as snakes. They're mean. And nothing will make you meaner quicker than not being forgiven. Why? Because as you go, any, anybody have one of those lint rollers? Those little lint rollers you use to take the, the fuzz off your clothes? Dog? Yeah, good. Good. Let's not go into an inventory of all the things they pick up, but it's nasty, all right? They pick all these things up, okay? Well, let me tell you, your spirit, without the intervention of the Holy Spirit, is like one of those, one of those little lint rollers. 
And as you roll along in life, all these little offenses pick up. You just pick them all up. And if you don't forgive those things, they just accumulate. And pretty soon you get hard, you get inflexible, and you get bitter. And that's where you, 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 you know, I, you ever, I, I've, I, when I was a kid, I worked in a country club. I was a busboy in a country club. And uh, I wore this green vest, and they try to make you look snazzy, and you're just this frumpy kid, and, you know, you're serving soup on Sundays or whatever at the, in, the, in, the, in the buffet there in the country club, and you get this sweet little old thing, you know, whether it's a man or you know, they come up to you, and they, they, sometimes they can be sweet, 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 and sometimes they can be mean, mean, mean. How many know what I'm talking about? How many when you, God brings you, God granted, takes you to a ripe old age, you're sweet as honey? Amen. How many want to be that way? I want to be that way. I don't want to be hard and mean and bitter. But I'm going to tell you, you don't have a snowball's chance in August of not being mean if you don't forgive. It will restrict the flow. I want us to be a flow church. I want it to be, the, the river flows, the Holy Spirit flows, and people come sploosh diving in the river, and they get their sins washed away, and they get their hurts washed away, they get their bodies healed, God moves in their finances, God does straight. How many want that kind of church? Yeah. Well, we're going to have to forgive each other, because there's got to be a flow, and God can't flow, God can't move if we're bound up with this unforgiveness. So this is a major key to Christian victory, joy, spiritual sensitivity. You want to be sensitive to the move of the Holy Spirit. God, you could be gifted. God could have a gift of the Holy Spirit with your name on it in heaven for you to flow in. But if you're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit through bitterness, you can never flow in that gift. You get to heaven and God's like, here it is. Here's the gift. And you're like, I'll take it now. Lord's like, there's no need for it now. You don't need a gift of healing in heaven. Because everybody's healed in heaven. How many are tracking with me? So last week I talked about the power to forgive and conditionality. And that's where I talked about Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, where Jesus makes this comment. If you forgive, God will forgive you. If you don't, you don't. So here's the question. Is God's love conditional? Is God's love conditional? Well, the answer to that, I'll answer the question, no. No, God's love isn't conditional. But the expression of God's love is guided by his justice. Is guided by his justice. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It's just that God forgive us our sins because of what Jesus did on the cross. Right? That's justice. That's, we're like, wow, this is, that's crazy. That doesn't, I've done this terrible thing. And, and God, God works this. How is that justice? Remember, remember, keep this distinction. God is just by divine standards. He is not fair by human standards. God is not fair by human standards. So if you're looking for God to be fair by your measurement, you can forget it. Because it's not fair that you're forgiven of your sins. But it is just according to God's divine measurement. Now, there is a parable in Matthew chapter 18 that speaks to this point and this is this I want to read this to you 
It's Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. It's the longest passage I'm going to read today. Other things I'm just referring to, but this passage I'm going to read. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? That's another, he's not asking how many times is my brother going to sin against me. He's saying, given that my brother is going to sin against me, how many times do I have to forgive him? As many as seven times. Seven was the number of completion, right? So, so Peter feels like he's being really generous to say, man, seven whole times. Like, I'm going to forgive him seven times. And Jesus said to him the famous answer, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So interminable. Now, here's the parable. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. And when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, this is hard. It's hard because I see myself in this. You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Everybody say from your heart. Not just from your lips, from your heart. There's some things in this parable that we don't understand because things, it's an ancient story. And so there's some aspects that are a little bit lost on us. One is an aspect that used to be in American culture, doesn't exist anymore, thank God, and that's debtor's prison, right? So if somebody's in debt, you can, you can toss them in the clink and, and you can use that incarceration as leverage to get out of them what they owe. And that's something that doesn't exist, but it did exist then. So that's in there. And there's a spiritual lesson to be found in it. And we just skip over it because we don't, we don't have a reference point to it, but there's a lesson in it. But the other thing has to do with the relative amounts of these debts. In the ancient world, money was valued not according to its face value, like a coin, right, has a face value, or a bill has a face value, but it was entirely by weight. So coins were minted for propaganda purposes of the empire, but when you went to make a purchase, out came the scales, and they weighed how much silver you were actually paying, right? Because one coin may be minted a little bit thinner than another. How many are tracking with me? All right, so here's the deal. We don't know what a, denari a denarius is, plural denarii, 
We don't know what that is, how much that weighs, and we don't know how much a talent is. So Jesus very clearly is using Roman measures. The Roman Empire had extended this far. Judea was under the, the umbrella of the Roman Empire, and the denarius was a Roman coin. So let me, let me explain to you, according to the measure of the time, what, what this was. A denarius is a coin about the size of a dime. What, what for us is a dime? That's a denarius. Okay? So, in terms of weight, the, the servant, the, the latter servant who was treated unmercifully, owed a hundred denarii. This is not even a pound of silver. Okay? All told, weigh it all up, it's, it's, it's 0.85 pounds, okay? So it's not even, it's not even nine-tenths of a pound. In contrast, does everybody get that in your mind, a pound? Does, that, does everybody know what a ton is? A ton is 2,000 pounds. So the servant that was indebted to the other servant, the latter servant, owed not even nine-tenths of one pound. On the other hand, the first servant, the unmerciful servant who was forgiven by the master, owed 355 tons of silver. 355 tons less than a pound. That's weight. To put it in another perspective, the one servant owed 100 denarii, the other servant owed over 82 million denarii. That's the comparison. So God is putting things in perspective. What we owe God for our sin is a sum that is so vast, there's no line more ridiculous in this entire parable than the first servant saying to the king, his master, be patient and I'll pay you back. Do you know how long he'd have to work according to the typical servant's wages? 200,000 years. That's how long it would take for him to earn back because a, denar a denarius is one day's wage. 200,000, be patient, I'll pay you back. The king had no choice but to forgive it because there's, he's doing the math, Gary, the one. I don't think he's going to last 200,000 years. I'm guessing he's not going to live that long. That's a debt so vast. And in comparison, anything that anybody owes us is trivial by comparison. Now, I believe there's a purpose why Jesus said 100 denarii instead of one denarius. And I want you to hear me on this. The offenses that you and I are called to forgive those who sin against us are not trivial. I'm going to say that again. The offenses that you and I are called to forgive as we stand praying are not nothing. This is a major mistake that Christians make as they're trying to forgive. One of the, one of the, they try to trick themselves. There's almost a deception 
an inner deception to say, well, this really wasn't that bad. That's not forgiveness. That's not forgiveness because it isn't true. I'm going to tell you something, and I want you to hear me. You have been offended. You have been hurt. Somebody else or somebody's else have done you legitimate wrong, and you have actually been wounded and hurt, and that wrong is real. God considers it a sin against you. It's not nothing, it's not trivial, and it's not something that you would say it's okay or just forget about it. Does everybody have that registered? Everybody can think of a real hurt that's happened to you, a real offense. Now that offense, real, weighty, sinful, such as it is, that's what God is calling you to forgive. This is something that I call a life-level offense. Somebody cuts you off on the road, there's a little this or a little that, it happens, and that's like, okay, we should just let those things go, right? That's part of living in a fallen world, right? You know, this guy cut me off. Can you believe he took my place in the safe way in the line? I was right there. I was waiting, and he, can you believe the nerve of that guy? I'm going to have to fast and pray and get the breakthrough on that one. I mean, I'm going to have to seek God. Oh, God. I intercede for his soul. He took cuts. That's stuff that... <laughs> look. Look. I'm just going to say this right now. Offenses happen in this world. You can't control that. You cannot control whether you're offended or hurt. It's just part of the deal. Right? Christians are no different than anybody else in that they get hurt and they get offended and that terrible things happen to them and terrible things are done to them. The difference is that Christians forgive. That's the difference. The difference is not what happens to us. The difference is what we do with it. Now, I've heard different preachers say different things. Some people say, I've heard some people say there's a, a major offense that is, comes into everybody's life pretty much about once a year. And maybe a life-level offense every five years. Sometimes, I, you know, I've been in cases where they just, the hits just keep on coming. Right? But people have a tendency to say, well, I'll forgive those other things, but this I just cannot forgive. That's what he's talking about. Those little things that you say, well, I can just forgive those. Those are one denarius debts. It's the hundred denarii debt that you don't want to forgive. That's the life level one. That's your like, well, this is just too much. Yeah, I recognize it's too much. I, I'm, just, I'm just not able. I know. I know you're not able. But you must. You must. Because if you don't forgive the one pound debt, the 355 ton debt comes due. Are you, are you following me? Now, th this, is, this is tough. And it's what we would call negative motivation. It's, it's a hard truth because it's talking about God's justice. It's a hard truth about how, the way God's forgiveness works. But God is just. God is just to forgive you your sin based on the blood of the cross. But when you cross up that justice by refusing yourself to forgive somebody's debt against you, 
then God's, it's not just. It's not just that you hold this debt, even though it's life level for you, by comparison to the debt you owe God, it's trivial. I've had people in my own family hurt me deeply. I grew up, number six out of seven kids, my parents never quarreled. I just thought we had the most idyllic family. We went on family vacations. We went on adventures together. We had perfect Christmases. I saw other of my classmates on the street. I saw family after family fall to divorce. And I said, that's never going to happen to me. And late in my high school years, it all fell apart. Right when I went off to college, my parents got divorced after 28 years of marriage. And in the course of time, my dad, both my parents, and even some of my older siblings, uh, you know, who looked on me as a little brother, were shielding me from the truth. And then I began to learn some of the truth. And there was a family member, part of my extended family, not immediate family, who I looked up to as a second father, whom I loved very, very dearly. And I found out he was right in the middle of it. And if it hadn't been for his involvement, my parents' marriage most likely would have survived. This is somebody I idolized. This is somebody that I loved. And my family, that was the basis of my life, lay shattered on the floor. And it shattered to this day. That was many, many years ago. And I still pray God's forgiveness toward that person. And I still pray for God's work of forgiveness in me. 70 times 7, folks. It's not, that 70 times 7 is not for different sins. That's how many times you've got to end up forgiven for the same sin. Right? Because you've got to work that forgiveness into your spirit. You've got to seek God's power and you got to, I've had to ask God's forgiveness on me because I failed to forgive. Anybody with me on that one? God, I ask you to forgive me because I have not forgiven. I ask you to forgive me because I forgave and then I went back and I took it back. And I got mad all over again. And I fell back in unforgiveness and I had to work it out. That stuff will constrict you. It will squeeze the life out of you where you can't, you can't breathe. You can't pray. You wonder what's wrong. Why is it God's dealing with you? But let me give you some positive encouragement here. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 31, says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. You know what malice is? It's a fancy word for being mean. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we're imitating God as we forgive somebody else. Be, be kind, be compassionate, be tenderhearted. As God was tender-hearted toward you, be tender-hearted toward other people. Look, one of the 
one of the main things, when I was a missionary in Latin America, pastoring in South America, people would come to me, pastor, I need your help. I need your help. I need to talk to you about brother so-and-so. Because, you know, and I'd be like, okay, well, tell me about it. And one of the first things out of their, out of their mouth is, no me saluda, ni me saluda. Doesn't even, they don't even greet me. Well, ooh, in Latin America, that's fighting words. Do not greet somebody. That's ever, no. In the Pacific Northwest, don't greet anybody. It just, whatever. It's just, <laughs> <we're>, <laughs> why doesn't he, why didn't he say hi? He's from Washington. Oh. <laughs> but there, to not greet somebody? But that, that becomes, I hate to say it, but I've seen it become status quo in American churches. You're just mad at somebody, you just, you just avoid them. You know, it's, it's, shame, it's really, it's shameful. It's a shame because Jesus says, look, do you, you only greet your brothers? Well, don't, like, even the unbelievers do that. Even the unbelievers are kind and greet, their, greet, greet, greet somebody else that's like them. We ought to be greeting not only our brothers, but our enemies. Right? How different the image that Jesus projects is from the image that we've fallen into. He says, imitate. Imitate God. Be kind. Be long-suffering. Now, inevitably, the question of reconciliation comes in. Now, I want to say something right now. Um, this service is long, but since we're talking about forgiveness, you really have no choice but to bear with me, right? Uh, plus, it's really good, so there's that. All right, now, um, moving right along. The question of reconciliation comes in. When we talk about forgiving those who've hurt us, the question of reconciliation comes in. Now, I just want to say this. Reconciliation and forgiveness are related, there's overlap, but they're not the same thing, okay? But I'm going to talk about them, okay? So reconciliation, reconciling with somebody, you've had a breakdown in your relationship, and you're going to mend fences, and you're going to reconcile. Everybody knows what reconciliation is. So reconciliation is related to forgiveness. There's overlap, but they're not identical. And I'm going to touch on some basics here. First of all, first point, God, generally speaking, desires reconciliation between people, right? So alienation between people came in when the fall happened in the garden, uh, but God desires it, right? First John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So if, if you got two Christians, they're both walking in the light, they should have fellowship with one another. That's God's will. That's not just talking about a dynamic between Christians. That's talking about what God wants. God clearly wants his children to get along. And as far as that goes, I believe it goes for the world in general. God, God wants people in general, even unbelievers. He wants us to, to reconcile. He wants us to, to work together, right, as much as possible, right? This is Romans 12, 18. It says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Sometimes it isn't possible, right? People say it takes two to have a war. No, actually, it only takes one, <laughs> right? So sometimes it's not possible, but there you go. Now, 
God lays down rules or kind of a protocol for how we reconcile uh, with one another. Now, there's a couple of verses here, and they sometimes come in and they kind of cloud things for people or can cause confusion. So I'm going to read both of them, and they're quick. One's in Matthew 5. It says, So, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Is everybody, everybody following that? So if I'm in the place of prayer, I'm in the place of worship, and I, I realize in that place that so-and-so has something against me for something that I've done, God makes it a priority that I reconcile with that person or attempt to. Is everybody, everybody following me? Now, there's another passage that says, that says this. It says, if your brother, this is Matthew 18, right? So 13 chapters later, same gospel. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. And then the protocol continues, right? So in this case, it's not somebody else. It's not that I realize somebody else has something against me. It's that I realize I have something against somebody else, right? Somebody did me wrong, right? Does anybody notice there's a common denominator between both of these protocols? The common denominator is I initiate. That's the common denominator, all right? So if, if, I, recognize, if I recognize that Jim is upset with me, it's incumbent upon me to go and mend fences with Jim, Okay? That's, the initiative falls to me. Now, if I turn around and I, and I say, Jim hurt me. Jim did me, I'm picking on Jim because he's never done me any wrong at all. But Jim, uh, Jim hurt me. Now it's incumbent on me to go to say, hey, Jim, I, I want to make, I want to lay this out. You're my brother. We need to iron this out. And this hurt me when you said this or did this or whatever it is. But either way, the issue the issue falls to working these things out. The point is, God wants, I'm going to give you the, Dave's, the, the DAV, Dave's amazing version on this. Work it out. Walk in love, show initiative, and work it out. In good faith, in, in mercy, try to work it out. Now, again, Sometimes he can't. So this is the third point. When reconciliation is impossible or the other person won't repent, you have a dilemma. Okay? So when reconciliation is impossible, how is reconcil reconciliation impossible? Sometimes the person's literally dead. That's a tough word to say, but sometimes the person's gone. Sometimes the relationship, you've attempted something, uh, maybe even multiple times, and they're stonewalling you. They don't want to have anything to do with you. I wish I could say that's a believer to an unbeliever, but a lot of times it's between believers. Sometimes there's so much duplicity in the other person. There's so much falsehood. They just, there's no owning up. You can't, it's not happening, right? It's not happening. You think, well, God, you're just being unrealistic about me going and initiating everything. No, he's not, because he recognizes that sometimes it's not possible, and there's, there's ways that we work on that, too. And sometimes you go, and the other person just won't repent. They just won't. They won't make it right. You have a dilemma, 
A dilemma means you're stuck between two choices. The one choice is to imitate God, right? To imitate God. Now, let me give you a, a great passage here. It says, but love your enemies. This is Luke 6, 35 and 36. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind, and, kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. That is one choice. Imitate God. Imitate him. Be like him. Well, God, it's not fair. Forget fair. Forget fair. Appeal to the cross, the justice of God. Jesus died to forgive you against every bit of natural reason. This is, this is the point of the, the song that we sing, Reckless Love. God is, by all, leaving 99 to go after one does not make any human sense. And that's what God is calling us to do. To do things for the world that is upside down. That doesn't make any sense. But how many know the world's going to hell? So we shouldn't use the world as a measure. We should use God as a measure. So he's saying, imitate me. Be, be like sons of your Father in heaven. He is kind and generous to the wicked. You have gospel truth declaring it. Why should I be kind and generous? Why should I forgive this guy? He's mean. He's, he's unkind. He's wicked. He's unforgiving. He's, he's unrepentant. He's, you're imitating the Father. That's why. Now, the other option is to imitate the offense. You're going to imitate God and forgive. The other is to imitate the offense. Now, this is, a, this is a difficult truth. And you can go on in Matthew 18, and Jesus begins to talk. It's kind of a difficult passage for a lot of people to understand. He talks about binding and loosing. Here's what happens. When you don't forgive, listen to me now. This is, this is, this is, this is good preaching. When you don't forgive somebody who sinned against you, you bind that sin to them. But you also bind it to yourself. You bind that sin to yourself. This is why you have cycles of abuse. You have cycles of abuse. This is why children of abusers very often end up being abusers themselves. Now, this is a tough thing because I know there's been abuse. There's always, always is. Under the sound of my voice, there's been people who've suffered abuse. My grandfather was an alcoholic. He was also a racist. My grandfather committed crimes. He repented on his deathbed, thank God. It took my dad praying, chain-breaking prayers to free himself of the violence that had been a cycle going back to before the Civil War. My ancestors, my direct Thomas ancestors were slave owners and violent people. And my dad broke those chains. And that's how he broke out of it. But if he hadn't have forgiven, the sin would have been bound to him. 
and then I'd have to deal with it. Are you following me? You have to break that. And, and here's what happens. If the offense, you know, you know you're supposed to forgive. But if you refuse to forgive that sin, life-level sins, what happens is you're taking that sin, that offense, and you're exalting it above God, and it becomes an idol. Remember, we become what we worship. We become, I talked about that when I talked about hallowed be thy name. We become what we worship. If we worship God, that's why I plead with you, worship the Lord. Worship him. Glorify him. Express your love to him. Because we become what we worship. And the more you worship the Father, the more you adore Jesus, the more you become like him. But if you refuse to forgive, what you're doing is you're taking that offense and you're idolizing it, and you're exalting it above the command of God that you forgive. And then, the sin is bound to you, and you become what you yourself hate. The very thing you hated that somebody else does, did to you, it, you end up reflecting that. You end up being that. This is treacherous stuff. That's the prison that the unmerciful mer- servant is thrown into. And that's what we don't want to be. Jesus from the cross. People make this mistake. People say, well, I'll I'll be willing to forgive. They turn the passages about reconciliation on their head. And they say, well, yeah, I'll be willing to forgive if they just come and ask for forgiveness. No, 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 no. No. Both of those passages are about you taking the initiative. Not about you waiting for somebody else to take the initiative. Well, that's crazy. What if they never come and ask forgiveness of me? What if, what, if, what if Jesus hung on the cross and looked down at soldiers gambling for his underwear? Read the text. And what did he say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. There, was there any sign of repentance in those Roman soldiers? Any sign of turning? Any coming to Jesus, gee, man, we're sorry when we rammed the nails into your wrists. Bummer. There was none of that. He forgave them anyway. Listen, I'm talking to you about something that will set you free. It will give you an open heaven. It will open the blessings of God for your life. We Christians... You can treat us bad. You can slander us. You can throw us in prison. I'm talking history here, folks. You can kill our children before our eyes. And we're going to pray for you. And we're going to preach the gospel to you. And we're going to hope that you repent and you become our neighbor forever in heaven. That's what being a Christian is. That's radical, folks. How many, how, many, how many want to serve Jesus now? Because that's our Jesus. You don't think so? Every single one of the apostles died a martyr's death. Listen, you can be a victim. I was talking with Steve about this. Everybody wants to be a victim. You can be a victim or you may be free, but you cannot do, you cannot do both. You may be a victim, 
I've been hurt. I've been victimized. I'm the victim here. I'm the wronged one here. You can do that. You can play that card. You can do that. Or you can be free. But you can't do both. There's nobody who was more victimized than Jesus. He was absolutely innocent. And they nailed him to a cross. And in that position, he said, Father, forgive him. You know what he just did right there? He set you free from victimhood. He set you free from the jail of being a perpetual victim. He raised you to victory, and he set you free. Now let's go back to prayer. And let's close. I want to invite the musicians to come. you think I painted a picture that's too tough, a mountain that's too high to climb, you're right. We don't have the power to forgive this way. So prayer is where we realize, in the light of prayer, is where we realize we've not been forgiving. But prayer is also the way that that chain is broken. And prayer, openness, freedom in prayer is the reward for having forgiven. Now, if you're here, and even as I preached, you're grappling with a life-level offense. Somebody has hurt you. I don't care if they're living or dead. I don't care if they're a believer or an unbeliever. I don't care if they're in the room or they're a long way away. If you need the grace of God and you desire the grace of God right now to be free. You want to leave the victimhood behind, and you want to be free. I want to ask you to come to the altar right now. And I I just want us to pray together. I just want us to pray together. I just want us to pray together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, saints, all right now. forgive but it keeps coming back up keeps coming back up come on up come on up come on up come on up sin I'm not shaming anybody saints if I weren't here on the behind this pulpit I'd be down here we gotta all be seeking God seeking God Seeking God, seeking God, seeking God. If your spirit's clear, you've forgiven everybody. There's no flies on your stove because it's too hot. Then you pray where you are. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, we want to be free. We want to be healed, God. We're tired of excuses on why we can't get into the pool.